0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge. And as always, joined by my lovely co-host, Shelly Billinghurst. Shelly, I am very excited about this episode because We have a podcasting legend when it comes to the HR recruitment space.
1: Did we ever think we'd see this day? I have the honor of welcoming our guest today. And that is the one and the only Matt Alder, author of Digital Talent and host of Recruiting Future podcast. Matt, welcome to the Recruitment Flex.
2: Thank you very much. You're making me very embarrassed with that amazing intro, but (laughs) it's an absolute pleasure to, to be on your show.
1: Matt, thank you so much. You really are someone that I know both Serge and I just absolutely admire. Your content, your popularity, what you've built is just amazing. For our audience, if you would be so kind to give like a little bio of who is Matt Alder and help our audience understand why we love you so much.
2: So (laughs) I'm Matt. I've been working... In and around the talent acquisition space, talent acquisition technology space, for I'm going to say decades. I always used to say 10 years and then it tipped over 20. And now I'm just decades because it's been a long time. So I originally used to work for a number of recruitment marketing agencies. Then I have spent the last very long time being a consultant to the space. I set up the Recruiting Future podcast seven years ago. And th- that, to be honest with you, is where my biggest focus of time is now. We have d- two episodes a week, interview-based, uh, really trying to find out what's going on with talent acquisition all over the world. I also uh, write books. I can say books now because I've written two, plural right. books. And I collaborate with my very good friend, Mervin Dillon, because books are very long and it's much easier to write them if there's two of you. And again, we look at trends, we look at what's going on. Basically, I'm just driven by an intense curiosity around what's going on in the talent space, jobs, the future of work, and really what employers are doing and really make it my mission to find stories, introduce them to a wider audience and really help move the industry forward in whatever way I can.
1: You're certainly doing a hell of a job because Serge and I, part of our inspiration for doing the recruitment flex is just that, is to share knowledge. We are also endlessly curious about what's happening, news, events, events, it's quite an honor to have you on our show as you are a lot of our inspiration. So can you talk a little bit more about your podcasting journey? Cause you said you started your career in recruitment marketing and when did you make the shift to the greater audience here in podcasting?
2: Yeah. So it's, it's 2015, but really the origins of it are a few years before that. So round about 2011, 2012 which is 10 years ago now thinking about it again just absolutely fascinated by what was going on if you rewind history to that point we were looking at the rise of social media the rise of, of mobile things that yeah. we just take for granted in everyday so that was really piquing my interest and I was going to conferences as part of my job in the UK in Europe in the in the US and uh, I just started recording some videos and some audio with the people that I met because I was just really interested in sort of recording those stories. For For a long time, I had content with no platform. So I was recording these stories. I didn't really know what to do with them. Around about that time, I left my full-time job and became a self-employed consultant. And my consulting practice was based on helping companies understand what's going on. What does the landscape look like? Who's using technology in what kind of way? And also, what's happening in the future. So I used to run a blog called Recruiting Futurology, which is a bit of a mouthful. (laughs) Um, And I published some of the the interviews that I'd recorded on the blog. And then 2015 came along. I've always been interested in podcasting, fascinated by radio and and audio. And I I decided just to take the leap and take the work I was already doing and trying to find a way of publishing it. The podcast was born. It was kind of really grew out of the blog um, because I had been blogging for quite some time. And I think I did one or two episodes a month for a while and then momentum got going and it grew from there really. So I think it was huge interest that I have in talent acquisition, but also in audio production and podcasting. It was just the right time because it was before podcasting had become mainstream. So there was a wave to to surf there in terms of the show's audience growth. One of the things that, that I've always said is, when I started, I committed in my head to 50 episodes. It's like, I'm going to do 50 episodes. I'm not even going to look at the traffic or think about anything like that because mm-hmm. I'm really doing this because I enjoy doing it. And it's helping to inform my work as a consultant. It's helping me to have conversations with, with people that I might not be able to have. I made that commitment and then I've never really looked back since then.
1: And so how many episodes are you at?
2: So this morning I published episode 417 <laughs> Oh
1: my God. So obviously we can never, ever run out of things to talk about when it comes to talent acquisition.
2: (laughs) You know, the interesting thing that I actually discovered this morning is each of my episodes has a different title. So this morning's was called Optimizing the Recruiting Process. And it's an interview with a brilliant um, person from SHL talking about how to make recruiting quicker without losing quality. In 417 episodes, I've never actually used the same title, which is, I'm staggered that, 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 that that's is actually been the case. But I think it also just illustrates uh, how much is going on in our space at the moment mm-hmm. and how much there is to talk about. And I always get really excited when I see people launching podcasts and growing podcasts, because I think that it's such a great medium and there are so many conversations to be had.
1: There are. And where are you located?
2: I'm just outside Edinburgh in Scotland. So I've been up in Scotland for about for about seven years, actually. But pretty much moved here just before I started the podcast. So I don't know if those two things are those two things are related in any way.
1: Okay, sorry, I'm hogging all the questions here, Serge. I, I know you are dying to get a word in. So is most of what you talk about? Are you looking at the European market? I know you touched on. The fact that you're global and because we're Canadian, part of that North American scene. But when you're looking globally, where do you see the most interesting things coming from in in terms of advancements?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. It is a global podcast, but actually, the majority of the audience for the podcast is in the US and the majority of the guests come from the US as well. So um, I've always seen North America as a place that really sort of pioneers. Um, innovation in our space. And uh, part of that is, obviously, it's where a lot of the technology comes out of. But also, I think that there's a slightly different attitude to innovation and trying new technologies. And I think Europe is much more, I was going to say sceptical, I'll say conservative in in, in its approach to to how it develops and how it sort of tries technology. Having said that, I think that's changed a lot over the last um, few years. I think we're genuinely global now in terms of innovation. And there's some brilliant stories that come out of Europe. I've had some brilliant stories that have come out of Australia, some amazing stuff that's being done in India. So I think... Things have shifted to be more global, but a lot of the focus of my show is on the U.S.
0: Yeah, the U.S. and Canada, we're both in North America, but we look at what's happening in the U.S. very similar to how you just described. We are lagging behind the U.S. when it comes to new technology adoption, for sure. For sure. Uh, we're starting to see that change. We're starting to see a lot of great startups, a lot of new technology coming out of the country, and we're starting to see some companies adapting to this new reality because they have no choice to now compete in a worldwide market. But I wanted to take a step back and, and go into your book because there is so many different theories, different advice out there for recruiters. So I was curious about your book that is coming out in Canada called Digital Talents. March 29th is available in Europe right now. But what are the key messages from this book? Yeah,
2: it's a, it was a really interesting book to write. co-wrote it with my very good friend, Mervyn Dinnan, who I do a lot of work with. It was our second book. And I think you made the point there about there being a lot of noise, a lot of generic advice. And we really wanted to zoom in on an area that is just absolutely critical uh, to really make sure we were helping people as much as possible. So the book is called Digital Talent, and it's all about the skills that are required for digital transformation. So we started the book before the pandemic and we were thinking pretty much every employer globally was going through some kind of digital transformation. What happened during the pandemic where suddenly every employer was going through a digital transformation, yeah. even theater companies and, and restaurants and places that would never think that they'd have to have some kind of digital delivery platform or use technology in the way that they have. With the whole world sort of shifting business models and embracing technology and working in a different way, it creates this massive crunch around skills. So what yeah. you have is you have all these employers effectively competing for the same talent in the same talent pools. They need skills in their business that, that barely exist yet. Everything changes very quickly. This book wasn't written for... Tech companies. It's written for companies that are going through a digital transformation and may need certain types of digital skills for the first time, or certainly need more digital skills within their business. So that was the premise for the book. And really, the book looks at it from lots of different angles. So we talk about skills, we talk about the history of digital skills and how that's evolved and why. The situation we find ourselves in now is actually very different from situations with digital skill shortages in the past. Then we look at it from um, a talent acquisition perspective. We look at it from an experience perspective, talent experience perspective, a talent management perspective in terms of how companies can develop the skills they need internally and how they can be effective at internal mobility. We talk about leadership, we talk about DEI, and i which is a, just a, a fascinating topic in terms of the huge competitive advantage it can give companies that get it right and, and the massive new talent pools it opens up. But You know, even now, it's not a priority for organizations in the way that they say it is. And we go into that a lot because that's a really important area. We look at work technology, what technologies are developing to support this, recruiting technology, HR technology, what's going to happen in the future. We talk about the future of work and really talk about where this is all going. So it's a kind of a playbook for right now, but also helps people plan for the future, because what's really clear is... The changes that we're seeing now in business and the struggles that people are having around skills and you know talent acquisition are only going to get worse. What can you as an employer do to set yourself up for long-term success? And that in a nutshell, a very long nutshell, is, um, <laughs> is what the book's about.
1: Do you know, looking at your book that you wrote in 2017, Exceptional Talent, what is the biggest change that you saw?
2: Yeah, interesting. That's a really interesting question. The biggest changes is is one of speed and adoption. In exceptional talent, we looked at this whole concept of a joined up talent journey. So, really, what the book's about is it's saying the people who are joining your organisation they don't distinguish between talent acquisition and talent management and learning and development. They just have one experience of working there. and Actually, companies need to set themselves up in a way that they can deliver this seamless experience throughout the talent lifecycle and actually beyond that. Now, in digital talent, the message is, is is very similar. So there's a lot of similarities between the book, but obviously, what's happened in that five years has been massive acceleration in the sophistication and adoption of technology. So AI, automation, data analytics, and all those kind of things in terms of how they inform the process. The pandemic sort of shoving everyone on this very fast journey where people had to really just adapt. The whole way that they work as organizations. So it really is the sort of the technology and the adoption part and the increase in sophistication that's changed. The, the overall message is very similar about having that joined up process. And one of the really interesting things from people that I was talking to on the podcast, its back in 2020, everyone was talking about internal mobility. It's like, we can't find the talent externally. Things change very quickly. We're going to have to reskill people and move people around within the business. We're very bad at doing that because we just don't know, we don't know how to do it. We don't have the processes, we don't have the technology. And lots of talent acquisition teams were broadening their roles to to really try and fill that gap. And that's the kind of thing that that we talk about in both books.
0: You were mentioning as first digital skills. You need to have new skills to be able to be successful in the world of work. But I, I'm curious to your thoughts of digital skills that talent acquisition folks maybe didn't have a while back and they do have now what's your take on that
2: yeah interesting question and in the book we talk about the transformation of hr and the transformation of talent acquisition to keep pace with the transformation that happens within organizations there's a lot of debate about this there's lots of different things going on i think the the biggest sort of trend to me has been around things like automation and in a lot of cases automation being driven by some of the things that that people were experiencing during the pandemic behind every automation strategy there's a data strategy the data and analytics and and those kind of things are absolutely critical i also think that the ability to implement technology technology stacks um you know tech stacks much quicker is something that's changed as well so if you go back a few years taking on a new piece of talent acquisition technology was a two or three year special event with onboarding and training and all this kind of stuff. And now uh, things are moving much quicker. and People are experimenting and, and trying things and plugging things in. So I think it's maybe not necessarily the skills, but the mindset in talent acquisition is definitely something that's changed. I think people are thinking quicker. They're thinking smarter. They're being much more flexible. Some of the most entrenched ways of doing things had to change overnight so suddenly in most of the world for a lot of the jobs you can't do face-to-face interviewing anymore suddenly one day uh, and i think with that you know people are now thinking about cvs and assessments and and all these yeah. kind of things everything is up in the air and it can be difficult sometimes because the the people that i tend to talk to on my podcast are people who you know digging in experimenting getting this right or yeah. really driving it forward and I think it's important to remember there's lots of organizations out there who are struggling with the new world that we find ourselves in. And there's a huge journey still to go on for talent acquisition, which I think makes the next few years very interesting.
0: You mentioned data analytics, and I think that's a really key point. Uh, a, A lot of the leaders in the industry are leveraging data as far as how they're making decisions in talent acquisition, but that's fairly new, right? There's always been a group that have been very entrenched in the data and making the right decisions, but that is maybe 5%, at least before the pandemic. Are you seeing that shifting where talent acquisition, talent management are leveraging data in different ways that they did before?
2: Yeah, I think one of the, I mean, that's a big question. We could probably talk about that for, we could probably talk about that for an hour. Just yeah. to drill into something, some work I've been doing recently actually around, The recruitment process, it's been really interesting to see how people are now measuring data at different stages of their recruitment process to check for quality of candidate experience, efficiencies of process, quality of process, the shape of their talent pipelines. It's almost those kind of micro data trends where you're looking at conversions between different steps of the process and thinking about what that tells you. But also we're seeing a bit of an evolution in the role of the recruiter, because I think that this data and this technology in lots of ways allows recruiters to do the kind of things they were doing 10, 20, 30 years ago, in terms of having better quality of conversations with people, yeah. and building talent pipelines over a much longer period of time. That's really interesting as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that some organizations are struggling. I always go between, is it the big companies that are slow to change, that are struggling to try out the new TA tech that's available, that you're not married to it and you're not spending three years implementing it? Or is it the small companies that are saying we can't even get in the game because the big companies have so much money? And where do you see the biggest struggle?
2: Yeah. I think that whole large company we're wedded into this system for for years and years, that's always been a problem. And I'm sure in many organizations, it is still a problem. It Mm -hmm. is one of the things that I did see change a lot in the pandemic because, yeah. and, 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 and. I can't really say with the post-pandemic at the moment, but wherever we are at the moment, in yeah. whatever yeah. stage yeah. of the pandemic that we're that, that we're currently in, it's still the case. And, and and a lot of that is because talent has become this absolute business critical issue. The companies can't get enough talent. It's suddenly very much at the top of the CEO's agenda. And I know the talent acquisition teams are being given much more support to to get the technology in that they need to to be able to to do that. So I think that's one thing. And that's obviously there are organisations that are struggling with it. I also think in smaller organizations, they've never had a better choice of technology. I think there are technology solutions and types of technologies that were previously only available to very big companies. And now they come in, you know, in versions that that work for, for small companies as well. We've seen a shift there. I, I, you know what, I don't know who's struggling more than the other, whether you can split that into big and small, because I think they all have advantages yeah. and disadvantages. Large companies, huge amounts of resource, money to throw at the problem, very often big established employer brands, all that kind of stuff, affecting change is still very difficult, even in the times that we're living in. Getting things moving and things change and changing stakeholders and hiring managers' minds, that takes a long time. Smaller companies, don't necessarily have that problem. They can move very quickly. I had a fascinating conversation with a very small startup the other day talking about how they were competing for tech talent with companies that had more established brands than them. And and (laughs) their one competitive advantage is they could move really quickly. They're like, we're always the first company to offer them a job. And very often they'll they won't give us a response for three or four weeks while they wait for the other companies to catch up. But we have that three or four week window to sell them our opportunity um, and persuade them to come on board. So I thought that was interesting. But obviously, very small companies still have founders and CEOs involved, and it can be very difficult to scale up and shape processes and things that work. Yeah, I, I think there are advantages and disadvantages of both. I'm always interested to have Smaller organizations, even though my podcast is principally aimed at larger companies, Mm -hmm. I'm always interested to have smaller TA teams on the show because I think there is so much that large companies can learn from some of the great things that small companies do. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, they they can move faster. Usually, yeah. with smaller companies, they're lacking the expertise. Sometimes, when they're that early in the process, like the talent acquisition person is not the first person they hire. Which, in my opinion, if you're a startup, you should hire a TA before you hire HR, especially at the scale it's faced. But wanted to go back to something you said as far as what has changed since the pandemic is the large organization adapting to new technology and implementing a lot quicker. But do you think this has been uh, driven by change from the HR tech vendors? Because I'm seeing this in the marketplace where it's actually a selling point that we can get you in place with the new tech in two to three weeks, a month, depending on what it is. If it's an HRIS, obviously, it's not going to be that quick. But do you think that has caused a change of the quicker adaptation of new technology?
2: Yeah, and I think it's been a trend that has evolved over a, a number of years, this this sense of interoperability, I managed to say that, and things just being able to work together much quicker. And also... Technology becoming easier to use as well. Things being much more intuitive and not having to go through weeks and weeks of training teams, you know, how to use things. They're just easy to use. So I think a lot of them are tech trends that we've been in broader tech over over a long period of time. And I think we've just got to that point, along with the just seismically vast yeah. investment in HR um, and recruiting technology at the moment, which means that innovation is at a pace and scale that we've never seen before. And I think it would be very difficult for an employer to ignore that because of the opportunities that it brings, but also because of the amount of competitive advantage that they can lose by not adopting some of the tools and techniques that their competitors are.
1: So there has been a huge uh, tidal wave of investment when it comes to talent acquisition. Finally, they're paying attention and there's been some investment into tech. In your opinion, Matt, share with us an HR tech vendor that you think is really going to stand out for 2022. Who are you really encouraged by?
2: Uh, it's a difficult question because you, you're asking me to pick favorites here. Yes, I can't, yeah, absolutely. I can't,
1: possibly, I can't possibly do that.
2: I can mention a few that I'm finding interesting. Now, I've actually picked four, okay. <laughs> if, I, if okay. I'm allowed. Um, full disclosure, two of these companies sponsor my podcast and two of them don't. I also wanted to bring a balance there. That, um, well, I'm going you know, to reach out to
0: both that don't sponsor on your podcast so they'll, they'll come on to recruitment flex. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um. So um, the first one, is Paradox. I think Paradox are doing some fascinating stuff. Did an interview one of their clients last week in in the franchisees hourly worker space. And I think that the flexibility they have, but also the way that they're looking at some of the the issues in in that space and, you know, using their conversational AI to solve them, I think is really interesting. Smart Recruiters are always a business that yeah. are going places. They recently acquired a UK business called Attracts, and Attrax builds career site systems. And I think career site systems are a missing piece for ATS and CRM vendors. So I'm very interested to see how that works. Talking about data and intelligence and all all that kind of stuff. There's a company called MetaView that I think are really interesting, and they're looking at analyzing data around interviews. So looking at the actual content of interviews and looking for trends and using that data to train interviewees and look for bias and improve that process. You know, that's fascinating. And then the last one is one that keeps coming up time and time again. People always seem to mention it on the show, which is Gem uh, and that kind of automated sourcing, CRM, long-term talent engagement. I think all four of those companies sort of I've picked them because they embody four different things that are going on in the industry. But obviously, lots of other companies who will stand out in 2022. And I don't want to be seen to be picking favorites.
0: Well, we will. And I agree with all of those. I think those are all really good. And three of them, I believe, are unicorns, right? In the recent year, if you look at GEM, Smart Recruiters, and Paradox, have all reached that milestone. So you pick winners for sure. The one concept
2: that I think is the, the future for talent acquisition, it comes out in the book, and I think all of these companies do it to some extent, is personalization. Yes. It's combining automation with relationship building to make talent acquisition personalized from a communication and a process perspective. And I think that, to me, is the trend for the future. I'm interested in any vendors that are taking us in that direction.
0: Matt, I'm so excited that you came on the show because when I, I first started listening to podcasts, I, I focused in an area that I was really comfortable. I worked in talent acquisition, so there's two podcasts. So there was Chat and Cheese, and there was Recruiting Future, and they were both really, really, really different. So. I really appreciate your approach and what you do. I think you've been an inspiration. For the audience, Digital Talent is available on Amazon and all major bookstores March 29th. I believe it's the same in the US. I might be wrong. Yeah, it's
2: only out in the UK at the moment. The global release date is the 29th of March, Then it's available
0: everywhere. Available everywhere. Exceptional Talent is available everywhere right now. So get both books. Do find a recruiting future. It's available on every podcast player out there. It's easy to find. If anyone wanted to get a hold of you personally or for anything, Matt, what's the best way to get a hold of you? The best way to get a hold of me is via
2: LinkedIn. If you find me on LinkedIn, that's the best way to get a message for me or or read more about me. I've got a new website in development, but it's not yet built. LinkedIn is the best place to find me. And are you going to be at RecFex?
0: Yes. Okay. We're going to see you there. Because me and Shelly are trekking all the way to england so i look forward oh, to fantastic face.
2: fantastic i look forward to meeting you there um and enjoying the the legendary Wreckfest uh, hospitality
0: i look forward to it matt yes, it me was, too thank you so much for joining us
1: thank you matt. my absolute pleasure see you, thank you soon you.